You'll have to come to Trunk or Treat in order to see that in person, but I will be there. I was going to preach in it, but I couldn't figure out a way to read my notes, so so you're welcome. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. Great job, Jeremy. Thank you. Let's give it up one more time for Jeremy. It is, it is harder than you think to get up, and I tell Gabe all the time I would rather preach 100 messages than do announcements once because... Announcements are hard, but yeah, so thank you. Great job, and thank you to Pastor Craig. I know he's in there uh, in the youth right now, but for preaching last weekend, it's great. It gave me a little bit of a break, a little bit of, uh, of a breather, but it also gave you a breather from hearing and seeing me up here, and, uh, and he's always got a great insight and a great perspective on the scriptures, and I, so I'm so very thankful for that. So uh, if you see him after service, uh, say hi to him and, and thank him for last week. Welcome out there online, wherever you are. So glad that you're here, but especially you guys here in-house. You guys you guys are my people. I love looking out and seeing faces out here. It, it means so much to me. Um, and I am, I am really, really looking forward to giving this message today. The reason is because I think that the Lord gave me some, some insights into what this scripture, it's a small chunk that we're going to talk about, but I think there's so much depth here. In fact, I started reading it, started studying about it, started looking at it, and really I went to the very first verse of what we're going to talk about today, and I said, I could do an entire message on just this first verse. I had like seven pages of notes of just this first verse, and I went, probably to do everybody a favor, I should cut that down just a little bit, be a little bit more, but you'll see there's so much, so much depth there. So I want to get into this. Last week, Pastor Craig talked about, um, uh, oh, by the way, and I meant to say this, since he's still here, on Trunk or Treat, I know Jeremy kind of did talk about it when we saw the slides, but Trunk or Treat is so much more than just if you have kids, come. I don't want anybody going, I don't have kids, so I'm not going to come. It's number one, it's a great time of fellowship, but we reach out to the neighborhood. We have friends and families and friends of friends Come and join us for Trunk or Treat, and it's such a cool experience. And you saw one slide in there where Jonathan and Sonia split over there. They set the bar kind of high. They're always overachievers on what they do. But last year, we brought them some competition. Scott and Kelly Hazlett were in here, and they built a tunnel and all kinds. Now, I hear this year they're even going to top that. And I told him not to tell me what they're doing because I'm pretty sure there would require fire marshal inspections, permits, all kinds of things like this. And I just, the less I know, the better about that. So looking forward to it. I hope you guys join us. It's going to be really, really cool. Uh, Grab the flyer and the foyer on the way out if you're unsure about the dates and times or anything like that. Um, Okay, so let's get into the scripture. Last week, Pastor Craig taught... And he was teaching, essentially, Jesus had been going about doing these miracles, and he was still early in his ministry career, but he needed a rest. And so we see where he kind of went away and found some quiet place to, to be able to relax and recover and recharge to go back out. But he doesn't do it for long. We see in typical, you know, we're preaching through the gospel of Mark, and Mark is very much no fluff. We know other things happened. We know things went on during this time, but Mark doesn't waste any time talking about those things. So we saw last time the last scripture of last week's 
section was Mark 139. I'll show that to you just so that we can kind of get our bearings here. Mark 139, and he went into their synagogues, preaching throughout Galilee and casting out the demons. Okay, isn't that just like Mark? Went out throughout the Galilee region, preaching and casting out demons. Oh, by the way, and he cast out demons while he was there. And then moving on, nothing to see here, folks, just casting out demons, and on we go. Mark is so much like that, and he's that way intentional, intentionally, because he doesn't want to focus on the miracles themselves. He wants to focus on the power behind them. He wants to focus on the one who has the power to form those miracles. So the source is what he's focused on, and we see that all throughout this gospel, where the, the, the whole focus is on the source of the power. That source is the Holy Spirit in us. And we see that throughout this. So it's, it's so great. So quick sidebar. During this time, again, the differences between the Gospels. Mark, very much to the point, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Very much in, in, in an order like that and very concise with his language. Matthew is a little bit different. So it's right about at this time. When Jesus went into the Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons, it's right about in this time here where the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5, in fact, documents that this is the time when the Sermon on the Mount happened. Okay, so the Sermon on the Mount, many people, most people say it's the single greatest collection of, of wisdom that's out there. Secular, religious, it doesn't matter. It is a, it is a wonderful, amazing uh, collection of wisdom and, and Mark just completely ignores it. Why do you think that is? Why does Mark, Mark doesn't even allude to it. He just leaves it. And really it is, like we talked about before, each one of the Gospels is written for a specific reason to a specific audience to accomplish a specific thing. And Matthew is very much about the Messiahship of Jesus and the coming of his kingdom. And the Sermon on the Mount is how... We as citizens of that kingdom should live our lives. How we as citizens even come to be citizens of that kingdom. The character that those citizens should have. That's all about Matthew and the, and the Sermon on the Mount specifically. Mark, though, emphasizes, so the name, Servant Messiah, he talks about and emphasizes the servanthood of Jesus. How Jesus came to serve. And so that's really what that gospel is all about. The miracles, yes, focus, he talks very much about the miracles. In fact, he moves from one to the other to the other quicker than any of the other gospels. But again, it's to draw your attention to the source of that power, not the act itself. And we see that continue to play out in our scriptures for today. So let's get into our scriptures for today. So we start with Mark 1.40. We're only going to do five verses here today, so it's going to be concise. Mark 1.40. This is the scripture that I looked at, and I had seven pages of notes because there's so much depth here. Let's get into it. We won't go seven pages deep, but we'll get into it because there's a lot. Mark 1.40. And a man with leprosy came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling down and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. So we dig into that. I always like to give little Greek lessons or Hebrew lessons when it's appropriate, when, it, when it's meaningful. And I think it's really meaningful here. So let's look at it. 
A man with leprosy came to Jesus imploring. Let's stop there, imploring him. That word imploring is a Greek word. It's New Testament, so chances are the translation is going to be Greek. So we immediately go there. And the Greek translation of that word imploring is parakaleo. And what it means is to summon. Okay, essentially to, to summon or to make an appeal to. It's actually a legal, legal term, and that's kind of the overtones that it has. It's, it's to, we would say, issue a summons, right? That's kind of the, the feeling behind what this word means. You're compelling somebody to act. So he immediately approaches Jesus, and he compels Jesus. He's basically telling Jesus, do this. He's compelling him. The next word, and kneeling down. So immediately goes from this compelling, like, I'm, I'm telling you what I want you to do, to the next word is kneeling down. That kneeling down translates in the Greek as gonopateo, and the definition there is just to fall on your knees in, in humility and supplication, just, just laying yourself out, humbly worshiping. That's what it is, earnestly the same account in Matthew, if we go to Matthew and it talks about this issue here, Matthew 8, 2, uses the word proskuneo. And proskuneo is, is really to prostrate yourself in worship and adoration. So that's what's going on here. That's the feel of what's happening when he says kneel down. It's so much more than just an act. It is literally giving yourself up in worship and adoration. And he goes immediately from imploring, like, I'm demanding you do this, to kneeling down. See, this man, he fully recognizes that Jesus can heal him. He fully recognizes that Jesus has the power to heal him. He's, he's heard about it. He's seen it all over the place. But he also knows that Jesus doesn't have to do anything. Jesus doesn't have to do it just because he says so. So he can do it. But Jesus always has the choice. And this leper, this man, he realizes it. So his, his approach to Jesus in this passage is you can just feel like the internal conflict that he has. Has anybody ever gone to, um, gone to the hospital for a, say you're going to the emergency room specifically. You've either got a, like a wound that's open or you've got a, a broken arm, something serious like that. If you go into the emergency room, what happens? They pretty much just jump right on it, right? Once you get through the waiting room section. We'll, we'll ignore that part. But once you go into the doctor, they, they see the issue and they immediately get to it. Now, how would you feel if they didn't get to it? How would you feel if the doctor walked in, the nurses walked in, and they're like, huh, guy over there has got a bone sticking out. So anyway, over the weekend, I was, uh, you know, and they continued to you, what would you do? You, or especially maybe it was your loved one on the gurney instead of you, you would say, hey, this is your job. You, you fix this. This is what you do. Do it now. That's what we would all say, right? Especially if it was someone that we cared about. We're like, hey, this is what we're here for. I don't, nothing you can be doing is more important than doing this. And that's kind of the heart that this guy approaches Jesus with, but immediately... Immediately he goes, wait a minute, I need, I need to approach Jesus in humility. I can't demand that he does this. What if he doesn't? I can't demand that. So he's got this internal conflict. Like, I wanna, I'm desperate for healing. I want this to happen right now. 
But what if it doesn't? I better change my tone with this guy right now. And then he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So he knows full well Jesus can do it. If you are willing. So he doesn't know Jesus very much yet. You ever notice how Jesus has this special place in his heart or seems to for lepers? Lepers, tax collectors, what Scripture calls the least of these. Jesus seems to have a special affinity for those people. Let me show you a picture of what I think this interaction with Jesus and the leper look like. Now, look at, look at the man. If you can't tell, Jesus is the one on the left. On the right, this leper, and his, his skin is covered in boils and lesions, and he is desperate. Now, back in those days, the term leprosy could have been anything from a rash all the way up to and including something like this, and even worse, eventually if it progressed, limbs would fall off. Chunks of skin would fall off. This guy, this guy is in a bad way, and he knows it. What does Jesus do, though? You see what's happening down here at the bottom? He takes his hand. That is a huge no-no. In Levitical law, that is a huge no-no to touch a leper. Jesus doesn't have any such restrictions about that. But here's the thing about this picture. The idea of healing leprosy specifically carries with it much more than just he was sick or he was broken or even blindness as major as that is. It carries much more spiritual significance with it. See, leprosy has a history going all the way back in Scripture, at least, I'm sure even farther. We first kind of hear about the idea of leprosy in Exodus. And in Exodus, it's used as a show of God's power. We see that happening in Exodus 4, 6 through 7. I'll read this one to you. I'll show you some later. But I'll read this one to you. Exodus 4. 6 through 7, and this is the Lord talking to Moses. The Lord furthermore said to him, Now, put your hand inside the fold of your robe. So he put his hand inside the fold, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Okay, do some research on leprosy if you want to know what that really looked like. It's not good. Then he said, Put your hand inside the fold of your robe again. So he put his hand into the fold again, and when he took it out of the fold, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Just that quickly. It wasn't, it wasn't, hey, here's some ointment. Come back and see me next week. It's that miraculous, instantaneous healing, and it's used here to show God's power. If I can do this for you, Moses, imagine what else I can do. And a little bit later, we see in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28.15, we see this idea of leprosy as a consequence for sin. Deuteronomy 28.15, but it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to be careful to follow all of his commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. For those of you with morbid curiosity and you want to know what that list of curses is, read Deuteronomy 28, or all of Deuteronomy, for a list of how that goes down. A few verses later, Deuteronomy 28, 27, read this one here on the screen. The Lord will strike you 
with the boils of Egypt and with tumors, the festering rash, and with scabies from which you cannot be healed. Anybody else starting to get a little itchy right now, even just sitting in your chair? It was a terrible thing. Leprosy was considered a, a sign of, of sin, a sign that you had been smitten, you had been afflicted by God. And historically, there was no cure for it. You rode it out, and you either died of it as your limbs slowly fell off, or in some cases, you would recover. And there was no, again, there was no ointment, there was no treatment, there was no anything other than just you go somewhere by yourself and ride it out and see what happens. They were treated as outcasts. It was terrible. We read, in fact, we read in Luke 4, 27, Luke says this, and there were many with leprosy in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. Some people say that that was because of sanitation at the time, especially um, during the Exodus and when Israelites were traveling around, uh, taking care of your skin and things like that was difficult. And so this kind of had a, a resurgence. We don't know exactly why there was such a resurgence, but there were many with leprosy in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Any of you taken Gabe's study, not now, but her, when she did the study in 2 Kings, her Bible study in 2 Kings, you're probably more familiar with this. 2 Kings 5.1, now Naaman, this is the Naaman the Syrian. We're talking about why was he cleansed? Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man in the view of his master, and eminent because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but afflicted with leprosy. So there's all kinds of stories in Scripture about people being afflicted with leprosy, and very, very few of them where anybody is ever healed of leprosy or cleansed. See, they weren't avoided because they were contagious. Leprosy wasn't a particularly contagious disease, depending on what the root cause of it was, but they were avoided because they were considered unclean. They were considered to be unclean either because of some sin in their lives or because God directly had afflicted them, but we were supposed to stay away from them. In fact, Scripture commanded that. If you read Leviticus 13... All of Leviticus 13 is dedicated to this issue of leprosy. So read Leviticus 13 if you want to hear about that. But let me share this chunk of it with you. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. As for the person who has the leprous infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and call out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. He shall live outside the camp. So if you were unclean, if you had leprosy, you were declared unclean. You couldn't live within city limits. You couldn't live with other people. You literally had to be by yourself. And get this, it gets even worse. If you were out banishing yourself out into the wilderness someplace and you were totally alone, if you did by chance come anywhere near anyone else, you were required by law to call out, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. 
you were required to do that. And so that's how it went down. Now, when we get to Mark chapter 2, we'll see where Jesus says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Think about this. How often do we allow the devil to convince us that because of sin in our lives, we are unclean and therefore we need to isolate ourselves? How often do we do that? The cleansing blood of Jesus atoned for our sins. And yet, so many times, the devil will lie to us and we will believe it. Experienced and and brand new Christians alike, we will believe it and say, okay, I, I hear the words that Jesus paid the price for my sins. I hear the words that his blood cleansed me. And at some level, I even believe that, but I need to isolate myself from others. Thankfully, thankfully, church, the atoning work of Christ is so much stronger than the accusations of the enemy. So much stronger. Good amen. You were here last service. You knew. <clears throat> so what happens next? Mark 141. Again on screen. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out with his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Again, how, how quickly it just, I am willing, be cleansed. No ceremony, no anything. We're going to talk about that in a second. But let's look closer at this scripture. Moved with compassion. Let's talk about, if you've been a part of the bedrock class, I'm talking about Bible translations and some of the issues that we have. Who here in-house has the NIV? NIV version. Who in-house has the NIV version and they would be willing to call out just the first few words of Mark 141? Is that the NIV? You've got the older NIV. You've got the old school NIV. Sorry, I should have been more clear. Jesus was indignant. So it changed. Why did it change? My version, Mark 141, moved with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. Okay, so later versions of the NIV, to be exact, changed that to Jesus was indignant. Isn't that a big difference? Moved with compassion, Jesus was indignant. Why is that? Seems like one of them has to be wrong, right? That word, moved with compassion, that phrase is splagnizomai. That's all you get. I won't repeat it. The definition of that is to be moved in your inward parts, to feel compassion on, to have pity on. So that's what that original Greek word means. Here's why, though, the NIV is, says it differently. And we're going to talk. The reason I bring this up is because if you're part of our bedrock class, we talk about this in detail. And in fact, I will more in detail this Wednesday night. Be there. But the short version is that the NIV uses a slightly different Greek translation. The NIV, by nature, is a evolving or adapting document. By their very charter, they said, as new or better or different translations come along, we will incorporate those and then republish into a different version. So you see that constantly updating. But what they did is that they choose a section of 
of Greek manuscripts that actually used that word indignant. And they decided that they were going to do that because it fit more closely. Now, this is interpretational, but think about this. We look at it and we say, of course, Jesus wouldn't be indignant. This leper came to him wanting to be cured, and Jesus is going to be indignant with him? I don't think so. It's not entirely, though, out of character for Jesus. We see over and over again in Scripture, as we'll see later in Mark, where Jesus does get, uh, he just gets angry, frustrated, maybe is a better word, with people who, I'm offering this gift to you. I'm offering this salvation. I'm offering this, this cleansing, this forgiveness of sins. I'm offering you all these things. Why do you not grasp it? Why don't you reach out and accept it? Why do you always think there have to be, have to be strings attached? And we see where Jesus several times gets like, he's like, it's the humanity in him. Jesus was all God, but he was also all human, experiencing the emotions and the things that we go through. And he sees this salvation, this cleansing blood, this forgiveness of sins, this renewed self. It's all being offered, and yet people are like, I don't know. Sounds too good to be true. And we see him. So it's not entirely out of character that he would be indignant about that. Now, I think filled with compassion, personally, I think filled with compassion is is a better translation. But if you have compassion for somebody, true compassion, and they're failing to do something that would save them from their situation, wouldn't that frustrate you? In some cases, you would be indignant. Like, I'm trying. So let's go back. Let's go back. Put up that image of Jesus and the leper again. The thing that jumped out at me besides just how horrible of a disease leprosy is, is immediately, what's Jesus doing down at the bottom? He's holding his hand. So not only was that strictly forbidden by Levitical law, but more importantly, what struck me is what happens, what is the natural reaction to an outpouring of just intense compassion for somebody? Have you ever been talking to a friend, somebody asks you for prayer in church, or a friend who is just, is just hurting? They're just hurting emotionally, physically, whatever it is. What is your natural outpouring? You just feel like this intense urge to hug them or to hold their hand or to put a hand on their shoulder. I do this all the time. There have been times I am the king of awkward hugs because we'll be in church and somebody will be, I'll be praying with them or they'll be talking to me about an issue and I can just see that they're hurt. And I just like, I'm sorry, I got to hug you right now. And it's just a natural outpouring of the compassion for somebody that's hurting. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, I don't care. Right now, I don't care what the law says and I don't care what the cultural norms are. I feel for you so much, and I love you so much that I have to. So that's what he's doing here. We know Jesus can heal without a physical touch, but time and time again, he does that. So let's get, <clears throat> let's get back into it then. The result of this touch from Jesus, Mark 142, and immediately, there's that word again from Mark, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Now, I want to look more closely again at that word cleansed. Cleansed, we think, okay, cleansed. How many different subtleties of the word cleansed can there be? But again, it's a Greek word, katharizo. 
Katharizo means to make clean, either literally, ceremonially, or spiritually. But here's the part that I love about that definition. Removing all intermingling of filth. Think about that. Isn't that what the blood of Jesus does for us? Removes that intermingling of filth. All that that filth that was in us, around us, in our minds, and in our hearts. And it separates us. Separates the true us from all that filth that we're intermingled with. Why then do we allow it back in? If the blood of Jesus does that for us, removes all filth from our lives, why do we let it back in? I have an illustration. I was thinking about what kind of an illustration can I do for this? And, and I brought one that's in my very own living room almost on a daily basis. I have this shirt. I have a, several shirts. I'm, I'm a T-shirt fan. I like T-shirts with... A, pictures of events and different things I've gone to. I have several favorite t-shirts. And I had, here's what I do routinely. I will put on my favorite t-shirt, and then I will immediately go out in the garage and change the oil in the car. And without fail, almost without fail, time and time again, I said, this time, I'm going to be careful. And I come back in the house, and I'm looking at my shirt, and I'm like, I was so sad because this literally was my favorite shirt, and I've got oil stains all over it. I've ruined my favorite shirt. And I talked to Gabe about it, and she goes, take it off right now. I will pre-treat it. I will soak it. I will get it in the laundry, and we'll see what we can do. So she does just that. Pre-treat, scrub, soak, put it in the laundry, and it comes out. And I put it on, and I'm like, my favorite shirt is clean again. All that grunge is off of it. I need to go change the oil on my motorcycle now. (laughs) And I go right back into the garage, and I do the same thing again. Why? Why do we allow ourselves, do we beg, do we pray, do we invite Jesus into our hearts so that we can be cleansed, so that we can have that filth separated out of our lives? And then we just turn around and allow it back in. Why do we do that? In my case, it's I take for granted that Gabe did it once, she can do it again. Is that how we treat Jesus? He did it once, he can do it again. We teach that in church, though. We do. If you are forgiven today, you can go tomorrow and you can sin again and you'll be forgiven again. Jesus is like that. He will forgive you again and again, and again, and as many times as necessary. Here's the thing, though. It's not meant to be something like, well, he did it once, so I can do it again, and he'll cleanse me again. It's not meant to be anything that we take for granted. Jesus isn't a genie. He doesn't have to do it, but he does because he loves us. That's not what somebody who understands the value of that gift will do. I have been cleansed. I have been made clean. The filth has been separated out of my life. I'm going to do everything I can to not allow that back in. That should be the outflow of our heart. So the question, now going back to the scripture again, the question, did Jesus 
after he did this for the man, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Did he tell the man, what did he say? Go shout it from the rooftops. Tell everyone what you've seen here. Did he do that? No. Good answer, Pastor Gabe. But I know the rest of you know because you've been listening to the previous messages. That's not at all what Jesus did. Mark 1.43, and he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. The warning was, don't go tell everybody. Why, why do you think, again, we touched it a couple weeks ago, why do you think Jesus didn't want the news of this to spread like that? You would think that he would want news of these miracles to be spread all over. I think it's, it's because Jesus didn't want to be a sideshow attraction. He didn't want the man to go into town and say, hey, look, I got healed. Everybody, come out and see the tricks this guy can do. He didn't want to be a sideshow attraction for those that didn't have any spiritual context for what Jesus was doing and why he was doing it. Again, it goes back to the whole nature of this gospel, drawing attention to the source of the power, not to the act. Now, before the man could return to his life, there was a very, very important process he had to go first. And this is, this is important, I think, part of this. It's all important, but I keep saying this. Mark 144 Jesus said to him, and he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Interesting. Jesus had just cleansed this man. Jesus wasn't big on ceremony. But in this case, he says, Go show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded. Anybody know what Moses commanded? For the cleansing, let's talk about that. Since this man was a Jew, there was a very strict procedure for him to be cleansed before he could be allowed back into society. And if Jesus healed him and the man just walked back into town and said, hey, look, I'm all good, they would not have listened to him and they would not have allowed him back in until he fulfilled, fulfilled what the law said he had to do. Also, and I think this is cool. The word of the priest about this miracle would have carried a lot of weight. I think Jesus is very clever in telling that man, go do it. See, Jesus isn't a law breaker. He's a law fulfiller. And at this point, the law was, you need to go do these things. So here's what Moses commanded. Leviticus 14. Leviticus 14, if you want to know, it's long. It's 11 verses, 1 through 11. I'm going to read just listen to it. You can read it yourself later, but bear with me. Leviticus 14, 1 through 11. This is what happens. To, this is what Jesus is telling this man to go do. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the person with leprosy on the day of his cleansing. Now, he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the place outside the camp. Then the priest shall look, and if the leprous infection has been healed in the person with leprosy... Then the person shall give orders to take two live clean birds, cedar wood, a scarlet string, and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall also give orders to slaughter the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. 
As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood, the scarlet string, and the hyssop, and shall dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that had been slaughtered over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the live bird go free over the open field. The one to be cleansed shall then wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe in water and be clean. And afterward, he may enter the camp, but he shall stay outside his tent for seven days. Then it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave off all his hair and shall shave his head and his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair. He shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and be clean. Now on the eighth day, he is to take two male lambs without defect and a yearling you lamb without defect, and three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, and one log of oil. And the priest, who is going to pronounce him clean, shall present the person to be cleaned, and the offerings before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aren't you glad that when Jesus washes us, we don't have a process like that anymore? But here's the thing. So many of us put ourselves through that anyway. See, by telling the man to go before the priest, he kind of, I don't know if we have any chess players out there, but Jesus kind of puts the Pharisees in check by telling this man to go see the priest. Here's why. The priest has two choices. This man presents himself and says, I've been healed. I need now to go through the cleansing ritual. The priest has two choices. He can say, no, I don't think so by which you'd be just denying what he sees. And why would he do that? Or the other choice, which is his job to do, he would say, okay, let's go through the ritual and let's, let's perform all this so that you can be allowed into society. By performing the ritual, by doing what he is supposed to do, he has to admit that, number one, this healing was legitimate, okay? Because we saw in Scripture it happened like that. Somebody with leprosy, it would happen slowly over, if they were cured at all, would happen slowly over time. It didn't happen overnight or the next day or anything like that. It took some time. So the priest would have had to say, yes, this is a miraculous healing that we're seeing right here. And then he would have had to acknowledge the source of that. So the priest was in a rock and a hard place. Like, I can't deny what I'm seeing and I can't deny allowing this man to be cleansed ritually and going through it, but I also don't necessarily want to admit what the source is because even probably this priest didn't know who Jesus was yet. He may have heard of him. But think about this. The new covenant of Christ has declared us clean. Why then do so many reject that? And when I say reject, I don't mean you openly say, "Ah, I don't want that. But here's what we do. When Christ declares us clean from our sins and the forgiveness of sins, his blood does that for us. Why do we say, okay, I know in my mind that that's happened, but I am going to separate myself. And I am going to, what do I hear time and time again? I got to get my stuff together before I can come back to church. I got to get my act together, clean up some things in my life before I can come back and engage with the Lord. 
Jesus abolished all that. He told this man, this is old covenant, go do all these things. The new covenant of Christ declares you clean at his word. You don't have to go through the ritual. You don't have to separate yourself. What you do have to do is accept that his word and his cleansing blood will do what it says it will do. Now, Scripture isn't clear on whether the man went to the priest or not, but he must have. Number one, the man would have wanted to get back into society, and the only way to do that was to have the priest do this and declare him clean. No one would have listened to him or let him in the city until he did. But he wasn't entirely obedient to what Christ told him either. Mark 145, but he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Remember I said earlier, what's the best way to spread the news about anything? Tell everyone to keep it a secret. If I told you, here's something really cool, now I don't want you to tell anybody. I would be absolutely assured that everybody would know about it. And that continues to happen here. Here's the point of this whole thing, though. Today, you may not have leprosy, but we all have a disease called sin. We all suffer from that. And the blood of Jesus has washed us clean of that. Jesus promised that. 1 John 1, 9 We have this one on screen too. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you go back, Leviticus 14, there's 11 verses right there, two paragraphs on what you have to do to be cleansed of your sin, cleansed of your impurities. And Jesus says this, if we confess our sins, that's it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's all it takes. And yet, our human nature is that we overcomplicate it and we want to go back to the law. We want to place ourselves under the yoke of the law. Jesus says, that's not what I came for. So the requirement for us to be cleansed is just prayer. It's just to ask him. Like the leper, come to him in supplication, thanksgiving, humility. It's just exactly what this leper did. You know he can do it. Ask him in humility, and he will again and again. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's exactly what the leper did. With humility, but with expectancy, because he's asking Jesus to do something that he knows he can do. We have one step better. We are asking Jesus to do something that we know he already wants to do. And we come to him in humility and we ask for it. We're no longer under this yoke of the law but we put ourselves there time and time again because we fail to just say yes to what Jesus offered us. James now, 
Worship team, you guys can get ready. James gave us a little bit more detail on this. James 5, 13 to 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person, when it is brought about, can accomplish much. Church, we're going to go into communion here in just a minute. But before that, I want to pray. And here's what I want to do. There is so much power in confessing your sins to one another, confessing your sins publicly. But really, confessing them between you and the Lord is all he asks for. Confess your sins. It says to one another, how about we right now just take time and confess our sins to the Lord? Maybe our sin is that thing that we continue to think, okay, Once I get that dirt and that filth and that crud separated from my life, then I'll be worth something for the Lord to use. But until then, I just need to stay away from everybody. By doing that, we're rejecting what Christ did for us. So maybe that is just your confession. We have a prayer team in the back. Look for somebody with a lanyard. If you want prayer for healing, we will surround you and we will pray for you. If you have prayer of unconfessed sins, do that. But you can just do that in your chair. And so as we go into this time of communion, don't just pop up and start moving around. Take a moment. Confess your sins to the Lord. And better yet, accept that He has already healed you from that uncleanliness. We don't have to go around saying, I am unclean. We simply have to accept what He has done. And then let's take communion and seal that. Communion we have at the crosses. You can serve yourself there. We have uh, self-serve over there with the little cups, or you can dip the bread in the juice that's at the crosses. Or Gabe and I will be up front, and we would be happy to serve you. We have wine and bread and crackers up there. But when we do it, it's more than just an act that we just do by rote. By doing that, we are saying, number one, I accept what you did, Jesus. I accept what you did on the cross. And I align myself with that. And I will live my life. I will live my life as if I have been cleansed. Not waiting for the day when I complete the ritual purification to where then I can suddenly be of value to you whenever that day may come. It happens the moment that we accept Christ. And it happens every single time that we repent of our sins in front of him. So let's take communion with thankful hearts that that's what he did and an acceptance of what he did for us. So let's pray. Father, Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to separate the filth from my life. All those things that don't belong there, those things I have allowed in, those things I have intentionally brought into my life, Lord, the blood of Jesus cleanses me from those things. And I repent of anything that I have ever done to diminish the magnitude of that gift. 
I repent of those times where I have again and again in, in taking you for granted, where I have gone back into that very same sin, knowing full well that is not who you called me to be. And Lord, I stand against any lie of the enemy that would want to say, it's not enough for you. Jesus' blood may have cleansed the person next to you or that person, but not you. You are too broken. You need to repent some more. You need to do some more things and maybe earn your way back into the body of Christ. We stand against that lie in the name of Jesus. So if there's anyone here suffering from that lie, thinking you need to separate yourself from the body until that day comes, that you feel you've done enough to earn your way back in, Jesus says, just come to me. You don't need to earn anything. We just need to accept what he did. Father, I stand on that truth. And I pray that that truth just penetrates into the hearts of everybody hearing my voice. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.